Hey everyone, welcome to the Happy Flosser podcast. My name is Billy Lunt. I am your host, and I am here to talk to you about all things dental hygiene to support you on your journey through the dental hygiene program. Welcome, so glad to have you. From your very first semester, U.S. students start talking about when you have to take local anesthesia. And for most of you, the comments and the feelings that come out of you when you're discussing taking pain management are ones of anxiety. And I just want to use this time in this episode of us together to share with you that that is normal and to let you know that it's okay to feel that way because your patients feel that way too. And it's just like everything else that you learn in dental hygiene school and pretty much everything else that you do in life, the more you do it, the more confident you'll become and the better you'll get at it. And therefore your patients will benefit from it. Now, a lot of you, you can kind of pinpoint what's causing you the anxiety. Is it the fact that you're actually going to use a needle in someone else's mouth? Are you afraid that you're going to hurt your patient? Are you afraid that your technique is not going to be okay? I'll tell you what the number one fear should be, which is not anything that most students say to me. Most students say those last three things. They don't want to hurt your patient or, you know, you're not sure that you will find the anatomy correctly or you won't have the right technique. The number one scary thing about using local anesthesia on a patient is an allergic reaction. That is usually outside of our control and it's fast onset and in a medical emergency situation arises. That should always be your number one fear and your biggest concern with using local anesthesia. So I will say, as long as you keep that on the forefront of your mind, everything else becomes easy because you can manage everything else. You can work on everything else. You can improve. You can hone in on your skills and really grow exponentially really quickly with your techniques and your administration of local anesthesia. But that allergic reaction comes on in a blink of an eye with any patient just when you least expect it. And that should be really the only thing that you're fearful of. So I just wanna say how far we've come in our profession. Local anesthesia is one of those things that I want you to think about as a huge step in the right direction of dental hygienists being able to work towards the full scope of their practice. We have for years been taught all of the anatomy, all of the pharmacology, all of the techniques, but for a long time, because of laws, we're not able to actually use that knowledge in the clinical setting on, with patient care. So I just want you to look at local anesthesia and taking the course of pain management as a gift and really an expression of a lot of hard work from a lot of people before you that advocated for our profession to grow in this direction. And I can totally understand where dentists were coming from with the resistance. And there are still some states that are fighting this because of the liability, because of the responsibility, and because of just how skilled you have to be to be successful in treating patients with local anesthesia. But I believe that you are well-trained and you have all of the knowledge and skills that you need to be excellent in the area of pain management. So in this episode, we're gonna talk about some of that stuff. Really hone in on your perceptions 
I'll share some of my experiences and try to give you some broad understanding of how you can move forward in the right direction with local anesthesia. Are you looking for study sheets? I've created study sheets that cover the content of this episode. If you're interested or that's something that's going to help you on your learning journey, you can click the link listed right in the description of these show notes. Happy studying. Let's get started with some of the basics. So starting with your actual syringe, you wanna make sure that it's comfortable, that it fits across the palm of your hand really well, and that the thumb ring fits, right? You wanna make sure that your thumb goes through, it's comfortable, and that you have all the right parts of your hand in all the right places of the actual syringe. There's a window on the syringe where you insert the carpule, and there's definitely a way to insert the carpule correctly. So you have to pull back on the plunger, insert the carpule, and then engage the harpoon into it. And you'll learn all about that when you take local anesthesia. But it's really important for you to load the syringe correctly and make sure the syringe properly fits your hand. The other thing is that when you go to do your injection, there's a couple of things that you wanna keep in mind. Number one, you wanna have the window so that it's within your view so that you can actually see the carpule when you are injecting. So number one, you know how much you're injecting. Number two, you can see when you aspirate if you get a positive aspiration. The other thing you wanna do is on the carpules, sometimes the barcode is a solid uh, strip across the carpule. So you wanna make sure that you turn the carpule so that that solid strip isn't impeding your view so that when you check, when you do your aspiration, you can actually see whether or not you have a positive or negative aspiration. So what is an aspiration? Aspiration is the number one most important thing that you must never forget as a dental hygienist. An aspiration test ensures that you're not in the blood vessel. When you gently pull back on the thumb ring, it creates negative pressure within the cartridge. So if blood flows into the carpule, you know that you have a positive aspiration. The blood will enter the cartridge and that alerts you that you need to reposition your needle and that you're in the blood vessel. It's really important to know. Why is it important to know whether or not you're in the blood vessel? Because you can create an anesthetic overdose. If you inject into the blood vessels, you'll produce a high blood level of the anesthetic that you're using, and you don't want to do that. So when the blood is present, you have a positive aspiration, don't inject. You're going to reposition your needle and do another aspiration check. Number one most important thing when you are injecting. Don't inject until you aspirate. Aspirate first, then inject when you know that you're in the right place. Another thing that I can't stress enough is, you know, we think about what stresses us out and the fear that we have of giving that injection to our patient. And like I said to you, the number one fear you should have is allergic reaction. Trust everything that you know, all the stuff that you learned in oral anatomy, head and neck anatomy. You know your landmarks. Come to lab prepared. You know all of your landmarks, and these landmarks are very clear for you to get your positioning correctly so that you can do a really nice injection for your patient. Do a little review of your neuroanatomy, right? Your central nervous system, your peripheral nervous system, so that you can understand how those sensory and motor neurons work so that when you are using local anesthetic, you understand things on a cellular level. It will give you a little more confidence when you're doing it. If you can definitely find your landmarks, it will reduce your stress level when you're trying to give that injection. 
if you definitely understand how the nervous system works, it will give you more confidence in what you're doing. Remember, local anesthesia provides us the opportunity to provide care to our patients without any discomfort or pain. It allows us to be able to do what we need to do and really treat our patients at the highest level. Some of the most common local anesthesia injections for the maxillary arch, which usually when you first start learning how to give injections, we always start with the maxillary arch. Maxillary arch has really good positive uh, success rates with it. The maxilla is more porous. It's easy to infiltrate into the bone for your maxillary injections. So you're not necessarily looking for very pinpoint accuracy on the maxilla. So it's a little less stressful. On the maxilla, we have the posterior superior alveolar nerve, right? Maxillary posterior, that is known as the PSA. The middle superior alveolar nerve, the MSA, which branches off the infraorbital nerve. That is called the MSA. The ASA is the anterior superior alveolar nerve, and that supplies the canine and the incisors to the midline. The GP, which is the greater palatine, that provides anesthetic to the posterior portion of the hard palate and soft tissue to the midline and anterior to the first premolar. Now that GP landmark is usually located just distal to the second molar. The NP is the nasopalatine and that anesthetizes the anterior hard palate from first premolar to first premolar. And you'll see that landmark just lateral to the incisive papilla. And infiltration is very area specific. You're anesthetizing just a small area, maybe an apice of a tooth or two. And that is located any tooth where you're going to the fornix area and infiltrating that particular region. The infraorbital, known as the IO, will anesthetize the premolars and the anterior teeth to the midline. Those are the major areas that we do for the maxillary injections. The mandibular injections we do starting with the IA, the inferior alveolar nerve block. And this is a block uh, that is, <laughs> it causes a lot of stress for a lot of people because about 15 to 20% of the time you have an, a failure rate even when the block is done correctly. So be kind to yourself you're going to place your thumb on the coronoid notch. This anesthetizes the mandibular teeth to the midline, the buccal gingiva, just anterior to the molars. It's important that you advance the needle on the IA until you contact bone. And while we're talking about that, make sure that the bevel on the needle is towards the bone. In most cases, that is the case. So you're advancing the needle until the bone is contacted and the barrel of the syringe is located over the opposite side premolars. This gives you the proper angulation. What's cool about the inferior alveolar nerve block is just after you do the injection, you would draw the needle about halfway, aspirate again, and then deposit additional local anesthetic to get the lingual nerve, which is the next one that I'm gonna talk about. The lingual nerve anesthetizes the lingual gingiva and the floor of the mouth region. And it's easy to get the lingual nerve with the same injection as the IA as you're coming out before you come completely out with the needle. So that the patient only has the one needle injection, you are able to anesthetize both areas. Now keep in mind that the IA has the highest rate of clinical failures, as I said. 
it also has the highest percentage of positive aspirations. Primarily, this is due to the landmarks. The landmarks are not always reliable. So as you proceed forward, keep in mind that not every patient will present the same way with their landmarks as it relates to where you need to inject. Some of the reasons is that if you contact the bone too soon, the tip is usually too far anterior to the ramus. If you don't contact bone, the needle tip may be too far posterior to the foramen. The needle may be running parallel to the ramus or be too high and into the parotid gland. You need to make some of these corrections by withdrawing the needle but remaining in the tissue in order for you to adjust the angle and reposition for increased accuracy. I will say in all my years of performing the IA and all my years of teaching students to perform the IA, this one seems to cause the most amount of stress for students. I promise you if you use all that you learn when you are learning how to do a proper IA injection, you will be just fine once you relax and build some confidence. The mental incisive is the same nerve block only the insertion anatomy is the vestibule just anterior to the mental foramen, typically located right between the first and second premolars. And this anesthetizes the buccal gingiva just anterior to the mental foramen, as well as the skin of the chin and the lower lip. Now the incisive nerve anesthetizes the soft tissue and the pulp of the premolars, the canines and the incisors. The insertion anatomy of the incisive nerve is the vestibule just anterior to the mental foramen, typically located between the first and second premolars. The mental nerve doesn't provide anesthesia for the teeth. The incisive nerve provides anesthesia for the buccal gingiva, the skin of the lower lip, the chin, as well as the pulp of the incisors, canine, and premolars. Now, the other mandibular injection that you need to know is the buccal nerve block. The insertion anatomy for the buccal nerve block is level with the occlusal plane, just distal and buccal to the most posterior tooth on the mandibular arch. You're going to insert and gently contact the bone. You're going to insert about one to four millimeters. The buccal gingiva of the molars to the mental foramen is the area that will be anesthetized by the buccal nerve block. You've given local anesthesia successfully. Your patient is nice and comfortable during your procedure, but how are you going to document what you've done? It's important for you to know the maximum recommended dose for your patient, and that is the dose based on the treatment to be delivered, and it considers the health status of your patient. In a healthy patient or a patient with medical concerns, you must consider the limiting drug. And that is the drug that limits the total amount of volume delivered based on the patient's medical status and their weight. When you're using local anesthesia, cardiovascular, or any other medical condition that requires the lower dosage of 0.4 milligrams of a vasoconstrictor, the limiting drug would be the vasoconstrictor. Now, the maximum recommended dose is related to both the local anesthetic used as well as the vasoconstrictor that you have within the local anesthetic. Some of the factors to consider are the concentrations of the local anesthesia that you select to use, the dilution ratio of that vasoconstrictor, the standard cartridge volumes, the dosage modifications, and some of the relevant patient factors that show up on the medical history.
When multiple drugs are administered with different maximum recommended dosages, the lowest, most toxic drug is applied when you are calculating the drug dosages. The factors to consider for dosage calculations are number one, the concentration, and number two, the volume and dosages delivered. So you want to think of the milliliters of the solution that's in the carpule and then the milligrams of the drug. In order to calculate the milliliters to milligrams, the milliliters is the fluid within the carpule and the milligrams is the drug within the carpule. You're going to multiply the percentage of the concentration by the amount of solution in the carpule in order to achieve the number of milligrams. When you are calculating the vasoconstrictor dose calculation, there are some factors to consider. You want to understand the concentration of the anesthetic that you are using the dilution ratio for the vasoconstrictors, the standard cartridge volume, the maximum recommended dose, and the relevant patient factors. Now vasoconstrictor dilution ratios are expressed in 1 colon 20,000, 1 colon 50,000, 1 colon 100,000, or 1 colon 200,000. Those are your common drug ratios. So if you have a 1.8 milliliter cartridge and you have a 1 colon 20,000 ratio, the drug per milliliter is 0 0.05 milligrams per milliliter or 0 0.05 times 1.8, which is 0 0.09 milligrams per cartridge. So a common dental drug ratio for a 1.7 milliliter cartridge using the same expression of 1 colon 20,000, that translates to 0 0.05 milligrams per milliliter or 0 0.05 times 1.7, which equals 0 0.085 milligrams per cartridge. The limiting drug of the anesthesia is determined when the vasoconstrictor and the anesthetic are combined into one cartridge. In a healthy patient, lidocaine 2%, 1 to 50,000, the vasoconstrictor is the limiting drug in that healthy patient. I just want to share that when I was taking local anesthesia, so back when I was in school, we had to learn all the landmarks, we had to learn all the pharmacology, we actually had to learn all the positionings and how to do the injection, but we did not have the legislation yet, so we were not able to actually become licensed to use local anesthesia. But through advocacy and through some changes over time, that law was finally passed in our state. And so I was able to take the course. And I will tell you that when I took the course on local anesthesia, I was feeling all the same things that you're feeling. I was really nervous. So even though I had had a couple of years of patient care under my belt, it was really scary to go back and, and take local anesthesia. Uh, and then I found out that not only did I have to perform these injections on my student partner, I had to be a patient as well. Oh my gosh, yikes, that, that invoked a whole bunch more stress for me. I was feeling a little bit of anxiety. But I'm telling you that by being the patient, I learned so much more about the techniques and the process of using local anesthesia with a patient. 
and some of the patient management techniques went a long way. I was able to provide support to my partner and they were able to provide support to me as we were going through that learning process. And I really think that you will see that there's a lot of value in being the patient. And maybe you've never had local anesthesia before. So I think it's really important if there's something you're doing on a patient, that it's something that you've also had done to yourself. You're going to have a lot more understanding of what your patient is going through if you too have been through the trenches and you understand the process and what your patient is experiencing. I will say the first injection was the hardest. I did the PSA on my student partner, which hindsight, that was probably the, the best one to do. And I have really come so far with doing that injection. I would say the first 10 are the hardest and you'll do at least 10 while you're in school. And the, the, the whole idea is to get you comfortable with it. The reality is no matter how many you do on your student partner, when you go to do an injection on a real life patient that's not your student partner, not a family member, you're going to experience all those same stressful feelings inside. That's just the way that it is. My best advice to you is to just push yourself through that stress, push yourself through that moment and, and just persevere and push on and really force yourself to use as much local as you get an opportunity to do. So when I first got licensed and went back to my office, I wasn't sure how it was going to fit into the schedule. I wasn't sure how much the doctor was going to rely on me to give local and, and how much I was going to be giving with patients. What I quickly discovered was that you have a lot of patients that come into the dental office and they're very afraid and they have a lot of fear. So what's so nice about having the option for the dental hygienist to provide local is that sometimes the doctor's busy and sometimes the patients have a relationship with the hygienist and they don't really see the doctor that often, especially young kids. So sometimes when young kids require local anesthetic, it's so nice for the hygienist to be able to provide that to them because those are the people that they're comfortable with. They may have seen the hygienist from the age of three all the way up to maybe 12 years old and now they finally have to have local anesthetic for the first time and they haven't really spent any time with the dentist. So that time with the hygienist builds value and trust. And so providing that patient with the opportunity to have local anesthetic from the hygienist just goes so far in patient care and keeping the anxiety levels low for your patients. The other thing is it really helps keep the team on schedule. Sometimes it's really nice to be able to help the doctor out by saying, hey, you know, I'm waiting for an exam. I could run over here and get your next patient numb for you and sit with them while you're doing this. So it really provides an opportunity for the dental hygienist to support the dentist in their times of need, rather than the dentist being the only provider in the practice that can do that service. Having a dental hygienist who is ex an experienced clinician in the area of local anesthetic goes a long way at keeping the schedule balanced and really meeting the needs of the patient. You will find that you will develop your own techniques and your own strategies to provide the best experience for your patients. I would definitely seek the advice and help of the doctor because they have different training than you. And so the way that you are taught and the way that they are taught may not be the same. And you can learn a lot by observing and watching the dentist 
perform injections on their patients. I assure you that the way that you are taught in dental hygiene school, it provides you the opportunity to have a really nice framework and baseline to perform the process in the safest way possible. It will be so beneficial for you because you have patients that will see you, trust you, and want you to do all the services that you can. Knowing that you can provide the patient with local anesthesia in a way that keeps their anxiety low and helps them get through the process under your care, it really means so much, I just have to say. Uh, and one of the best things that I ever did was become licensed to provide local anesthesia with patients because I feel like it just connected the dots for me in the operatory for patients. There were so many times that I had an anxious patient in my chair and they were in my office for scaling and root planing or some kind of non-surgical periodontal therapy. And I would have to wait for the doctor to come in because their schedule was full. And just the waiting, just waiting for the doctor created more anxiety for the patient. Having the opportunity for the hygienist to be able to provide that service to the patient really reduces the anxiety levels because you can talk your patient through the entire process. You're giving them the local anesthetic, you're talking them through, you're educating them on the need and what they should expect through that whole process because that's what happened to you when you were taking local anesthesia. So as you're going through the process and learning how to be a provider of local anesthetic, and you're sitting there in the chair and you're the student receiving the local anesthetic, put yourself in the seat of the patient. And that will really help you so that when you are there providing that care to a patient, you're able to meet your patient's needs right where they are, keep their anxiety levels low. Because we all know that when a patient knows that they're going to be getting a needle, right, a shot, when they know that they're coming in and that's the first thing, that's the first hurdle they have to get over when they come in, it's really nice to be able to provide that service to them and put their mind at ease because you are the familiar face for them. All I can say is it's one of those things where you just have to do it. You just have to trust your gut, trust that you've learned the landmarks, you understand the nervous system, you understand the drugs, and you understand how the whole process works. You passed head and neck anatomy. You are ready to do pain management. You can do this lab activity. You can put yourself through the trenches of really getting over that hurdle of that first injection. And I will say the first 10 or 12 are hard. The first 10 or 12 inferior alveolar nerve blocks are really stressful because it seems like all 10 of them are different all the anatomy is different on all the patients. It just seems like that's how it works out. But I assure you, just like everything else, once you've just pushed yourself through that learning curve, that will also get easier. All right, hang in there. It's going to be great. And more good things to come, more advanced opportunities for hygienists to come. We're not there yet, guys. The scope of our practice is much higher than where we're at right now. We've got a long way to go. We've got a lot of advocacy to do. We've got a lot of learning to do, skill building. So keep it going. I would invite you to send me any questions that you need answered. Questions come up when you listen to this podcast. 
I have a link in the show notes and I'd be happy to answer any questions that you have. Also, I would appreciate a review if you have time to leave one. Thank you so much.